really empowers you to to literally change who you are and change the way your brain works and how you think. I mean, that's amazing. Probably the number one thing, apart from you know genetic diseases and big health problems, I think your psychology and having some sort of control over your mindset is probably the number one thing that's going to determine what you do in your life. Welcome back to another episode of This Is Bananas. Hope everyone is healthy and well. I'm doing okay here. I'm a little bit bummed of just being indoors every day. Every day seems like it's literally the same thing, but I can't complain in terms of health. I'm healthy, definitely thankful. Just a heads up to all the active listeners of this podcast, upload may be a little bit slow in the next couple weeks. I just found out that I might be moving, so that alone is stressful, plus with all the corona stuff on top of it, it's going to take a lot of my time up. So just want to give you guys that heads up, but definitely we'll be planning on posting more videos and podcast episodes as soon as I can. So this episode is brought to you by FitBod, the number one fitness app out on the market. Actually, I just got done doing a workout using FitBod and it's an app that allows you to put in the equipment that's available to you. So I have a home gym and basically what I put in is a bench. I have a barbell, I have dumbbells, I have a pull-up bar and I have an exercise ball. And according to that, gives me a custom workout based on just that equipment. I also tell it that I wanna do strength building exercises basically by focusing on the, the big lifts like squat, bench press, deadlift, push press. Those are what I prioritize. And I also just did a killer ab workout too. So they have abs and I've been doing abs every single time that I exercise. And once I'm done with the workout, it logs it all into an archive and I can post it on other apps like Strava and Apple Health and it integrates so well. Check out the app at fitbod.me slash bananiac, F-I-T-B-O-D dot M-E slash B-A-N-A-N-I-A-C. You get a free trial to test it out, see if you like it. And by clicking on that link that I shared, fitbod.me slash Bananiac, you get a sweet little discount courtesy of yours truly. And now with all the corona stuff going on, you get access to free body workouts. So even if you're not going to sign up, at least take advantage of that. I also want to let you guys know that if you head on over to Bananiac.com, B-A-N-A-N-I-A-C.com, at the very top of the website, you'll see a banner. And I have a couple of websites on there that you guys may find useful. I have Robinhood, which is a brokerage app. So you can invest in companies like Beyond Meat. Apple, Microsoft, Tesla, basically make your money, make more money for you. It's amazing. And when you open up a brokerage account and you put all your information in there, you will also receive a free stock. I also have a button on there for Clean Machine. It's a protein powder that I've been using lately. Honestly, it's it's the best protein powder out on the market. I hesitated so long, for so many years, I hesitated to partner up with a protein company because to be honest with you, I didn't really care for all the protein supplements out there on the market. I mean, I think they're great and they're good competition for like whey protein supplements and casein supplements and all that stuff. But this one in particular has no additives. It's the cleanest protein, hence the name clean green protein. It's very nutrient dense and it doesn't have junk in there. You guys know I'm all about the whole food plant-based diet, but this is something that I think if you're trying to build muscle, if you're an athlete, consider adopting this into your diet regimen. It contains a new protein named lentine, which is higher in all the essential amino acids than basically 
any other protein powder out there. And it's an acquired taste, I'll admit that. It tastes more like spirulina if you've ever had that. The protein powder is actually green. Very high in omegas. Of course, it's gluten-free and vegan, non-GMO, all that good stuff. So if you guys want to check it out, I have a link on the website. Like I said, you can click on that and use the discount code Bananiac. You get 10% off when you use that. And I guarantee it's going to help you guys make more gains in the gym. I also have a button for Amazon.com on there, which you can click on, take you to the regular Amazon. Amazon website and you can make all your Amazon purchases at no extra cost. And lastly, I have a button on there for Audible, which if you guys don't know what Audible is, it's an audiobook website. You can download the app as well and basically download audiobooks. So if you're on the go a lot like me, if you're commuting and you've listened to all the This Is Bananas podcast episodes, you can check out some audiobooks on there. I definitely don't have time to sit down, read a book anymore. So audiobooks and podcasts are my go-tos. So like I said, all those are on bananiac.com. You guys can check those out. And by doing so, it helps support this podcast, helps me keep these episodes going and creating more awesome content for you guys. All right, today's guest is Dr. Leo Venus. He's a medical doctor, a vegan, an athlete, and a fellow YouTuber. And you guys may know his brother, John Venus, who's a huge YouTuber as well. Both of them are super fit. So I wanted to have Leo on because he has a very strong medical background. He knows his stuff and he definitely knows his way around the gym as well. So we talked about a lot of stuff. We talked about muscle building, like for example, what type of exercises to do. We talked about his diet, the different foods and proteins that he likes to eat. I mean, this guy ate a 250 grams of protein in a whole day. Isn't that nuts? That is a lot of food for people that don't know what 250 grams of protein looks like. And lastly, we talked about medical school, some of his experience and why he decided to become a medical doctor. So we talked about all that. So definitely go and connect with Leo. He's on Instagram at Dr. Leo Venus. So without further ado, let's get into this episode. And here is Dr. Leo Venus. Oh, by the way, before we start, I have to ask you one question, Tino. Uh, do you do you like tarantulas? Tarantulas? Uh, that's yeah. a random question, but I'm going to say a hard no. Why? Uh, no, I was just thinking if you did, maybe I could, you know, I could nickname you Tarantino, but oh. uh, I guess, guess not. <laughs> All right, so we're dropping those. Nice, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Got to start on the right page, bro. <laughs> yes, dude, loving it, man. Well, dude, hey, thanks, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, I've been following you for a long time. Um, I found out about you through your brother John Venus. Um, so it's it's rad to be talking with you, man. And I have like a million questions I want to go through with you. But um, awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Tino. It's it's great to be here. Absolutely, man. The the first thing that's on my mind, and obviously a, a lot of people's minds, is like what's going on right now, this uh, pandemic crisis. And I know you're a medical doctor. Um, I was wondering, like, how's your perspective been, especially being in Spain, where <clears throat> At yeah, least yeah. here in the States, we're hearing that it's much worse in Spain, especially Italy, too, and Europe. So, um, yeah, yeah. dude, tell us how things are in your part of the world. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, as you said, it's one of the worst places at the moment, right? There's a lot of, uh, we're, you know, talking 500 plus deaths a day. Um, you know, Italy has been closer to 1,000 a day for a few, for, for a while now. So it's definitely a, quite a bad situation. Um, and you know, as far as I can remember, I can't remember any outbreaks this serious in the past and that's why it's, uh, 
you know, I had a bit of, uh, you know, this, this virus kind of kicked me in the butt a little bit because in the beginning, uh, I thought as, as often the case when it comes to mainstream media news, when, when it comes to disasters and all this kind of stuff, a lot of times they dramatize things and put things a little bit too far on one side. Right. And, uh, I thought, you know, this is probably one of those times and I'm not too worried about this virus. It's just, a another one of many outbreaks. Uh, but then when you look at the projections from the biggest organizations that are working with this outbreak and you look at the numbers that uh, would come to be if we did nothing to mitigate the effects of the outbreak, right? We're talking about not just thousands, but we're talking about uh, millions upon millions upon millions of people losing their lives. So it's definitely a huge, huge outbreak. And uh, it's, it's a, yeah, I mean, there's a reason why everyone's taking it so seriously, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I definitely underestimated too. Like I started sharing all the memes and like everyone else, like I just, it's like, whatever, these statistics do not compare to heart disease. But obviously now I think all, all of us are wrong about it. No one expected this. So, um, are you seeing, I mean, the one, yeah, sorry to interrupt. I mean, the one thing is it's kind of like, it's very different in terms of the, the type of disease we're talking about. Right. So a lot of people say, you know, we shouldn't be comparing heart disease to this, but of course, like heart disease, you know, is killing between 25 and 30,000 people every single day, right? And, and cancer is up there even higher, like closer to 30,000 30, as well. So, uh, you know, it's definitely, if you're going to take the raw numbers of people, uh, there are definitely a lot more people dying of these, of these things, right? But that's, uh, again, it's quite a different demographic. It's a different pathology, a different type of disease. Um, but that's that's you know why i think so many people underestimate it because in the beginning when it comes to to coronavirus we're seeing only as it spreads right we're seeing only a few cases only a few deaths but then what happens is it spreads so quickly that by the time you see how serious it is it's already thousands and thousands or millions of people might might even have it so now i think we're you know we've gone past 300,000 or or maybe even close to 400,000 cases and those are the tested ones so there might be a lot more than that that aren't tested, right? So, um, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, in terms of the the, the numbers, when we're talking ten thousand people, that might not be a huge number compared to you know, the, from a world perspective, right? It's, of course, there's like a huge number of people who are dying, but from a world perspective, when you're thinking we're seven billion billion people and every single day one hundred fifty thousand people die, right? Then you don't think that's that doesn't sound like a huge deal on a on a world scale, but Again, like I said, the projections say that uh, we could reach, you know, 30, 40, 50 million people uh, if we did nothing about it. So it's it's definitely a threat. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is that it's from animal origin, too, which like the mainstream's mm-hmm. not really talking about too much of how this thing started, just like what to do at this point. But I, I think it's good to like look at the cause of something, like at least where it came from, to acknowledge that so we don't continue it in the future um mm-hmm. i'm not an expert but i've been trying to like i've been following along a little bit and have noticed that most of these pandemics at least the viral ones the infections mm-hmm. have come yeah. from animal origin i don't know if you would yeah yeah 100 100 even going back to the the you know the spanish influenza which is probably the biggest killer in modern history right uh, you know going to uh, h1n1 the, the the avian flus right the the swine flu, all of these are are coming from animal origins. And what happens is basically you have different types of viruses uh, that meet through interspecies contact. And 
and they they kind of almost have I guess like a viral uh, mixing where they almost reproduce together and then they they have this offspring baby virus which is different enough that our immune system isn't prepared to fight it so we have new outbreaks constantly right um, so yeah it's it's when you look at the the Chinese uh, wet markets and all this kind of stuff in Asia where you have you know you might have a little tiny tiny room with animals from South America, from Asia, from Africa, and all these animals are put together in this tiny confinement and, you know, they're slaughtered with almost no hygiene practice to slaughter. The the workers are sometimes not even wearing gloves and just blood everywhere. You think this is, you know, if anybody was to design an environment to produce viral outbreaks, this would be it. You know, it's like, it's almost like somebody is trying to create the next outbreak. So it's, it's really, uh, you know, it's really something we should be talking a lot more about. And, and I think, again, the whole world is an outrage and everyone is talking about it. But it's it's unfortunate that we're only, you know, I always think about this. Human beings are so reactive. We're not thinking, you know, preventative. We're not thinking causal. Same with all the restrictions, you know, after it becomes a pandemic, then we shut down all the flights. <laughs> Probably we should have done that before it became a pandemic, right? Um, but it, it, we're always reacting. We're, we're never, uh, very few times we're really addressing the cause when it comes to big complex issues like this, which is a, a shame for sure. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Um, and I think by now most people know kind of what it is. It's like, um, you know, it, it's sh- symptoms at least are shortness of breath, right? Cough, fever, I think if I'm correct. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's very, very similar to the flu for most people, you know, very, very similar. You probably can't yeah. tell it apart. I'm sure it's oh, very exactly, difficult. Exactly. So, yeah. um, if if people experience these, obviously talk to your doctor and figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. And avoid social contact even more than usual. Right? Is is the the important part there? Because uh, you know, there's a lot. Again, a lot of people are talking about it. So there's also going to be a lot of misinformation. People thinking that this is spread through the air, and you have to wear masks at all times, and uh, you know, that you can spread it for weeks and weeks and weeks before, uh, you know, getting sick and stuff like that. But, it, you know, still, even though we're learning about it, there's new information, we'll all have to be humble enough to change our opinions as better information comes in, right? That's part of being a kind of scientifically oriented. Uh, but as of now, it still looks like the, the people who are the most at risk of transmitting it to other people are people who are actually sick with it, uh, not the asymptomatic. Now, Obviously, there's you know there's some evidence that that might also be an issue, but you can't. Uh, it's it's way you know when the main issue is the people who have symptoms, uh, that's a, a much better thing to focus on than uh, uh, you know trying to focus on that all the people are asymptomatic because you can't really tell apart the asymptomatic with it or not. But um, you know, but that's why we're doing the social distancing. That's why we're canceling events. There's no you know there's very little live events all over the world gyms are closed like any public gathering kind of service is closed stores cafes restaurants so you know this is definitely going to put a big break on on the outbreak for sure uh which is why you know i think this might just be one of the few times ever where i feel like the the media scare will actually come in handy and be very helpful whereas most times it's all the fear mongering is is very unhelpful this time it might actually be a good thing I agree with you. Sometimes it's like definitely played up and it, it took me by surprise for sure. But um, definitely take it seriously. Definitely social distance yourself from people because like you said, even if you catch it and you're asymptomatic or you're young and you know you can fight this thing, you know, you may 
very well end up passing it on to somebody who can't handle it, an elderly or somebody with an immune suppressed system. Um, so definitely take it seriously. And maybe it won't be too hard because if you're like an introvert like me, you've been preparing for this your whole life. <laughs> you know, staying indoors <laughs> nice, is nice. probably not like a big deal. So <laughs> very good. Very good. Yeah. It's easier for some people than others. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, um, awesome, man. Well, thank you for touching base on that a little bit, um, sharing your experience, but, uh, yeah, let's get back to the original reason why I brought you on. Um, so like I said, you're a medical doctor, uh, you, a fellow YouTuber, a vegan, of course, and an athlete. So, um, again, welcome to the show. Um, with, uh, I, I wanted to ask you, so, uh, first of all, your brother, John Venus, who's a big YouTuber. If you guys don't know of him, what are you doing? Like, you know, follow him as well. Um, which follow one? Follow me first though. Follow follow Leo first, <laughs> then John. <laughs> um, who, who went vegan first? Uh, is, was it you that influenced him if I'm correct? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's, uh, you know, that's definitely uh, how it went, which is, I, I love to remind him of that. <laughs> no, but anyways, uh, yeah, I, I, I've been vegan a little over seven years now and, uh, a funny thing about it is actually John was out of the entire family. John was the most against it. And he was the one who had the, the strongest kind of emotional reaction that, you know, conflicting kind of uh, argumentative vibe always, you know, he was always talking about how I'm going to get weak, lose muscles, get sick. It's just a phase. I, you know, at the time I uh, was introduced to the idea by my ex-girlfriend and he would say, ah, you know, it's just a phase. You're just doing it for your girlfriend, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, you see a few years later, he's become one of the most passionate and, uh, you know, vegans who's really putting the word out there and has done so much for this movement. So it just goes to show, even if somebody seems to be extremely against something, don't give up on them because they might surprise you. Yeah, for sure. He's definitely outspoken and uh, one of my questions was, <clears throat> you know, a lot of people will ask, how we, how can you get like a, f a friend, especially a family member who you're living with to go vegan? Because you bring it up and I feel like it creates more tension, you know, most mm -hmm. of the time. So what ended up helping you to get him to listen to you? Yeah. So, so I mean, yeah, it's a great question. It's the, I guess it's, uh, that's the the million dollar question, right? This is what we all want to know exactly how to, and, and, you know, to give some background, that was actually something I struggled a lot with in the beginning was how to best communicate and really spread the message as efficiently as possible to, to get as many people to jump on board the movement as possible, right? You feel you have this responsibility on your shoulders to, to get as many people to jump on board so that you're, you know, you're helping the, the environment, the animals, etc. So, uh, you know, it's something that you understand people are so motivated and so passionate to, to share. Uh, but it just so happens with human, you know, behavioral psychology, human nature, oftentimes, the more you want something, the further you push it away. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the more you try to avoid something, the closer you bring it to yourself, right? So when it comes to influencing people, it certainly is the case that the more you push something on someone, the more resistance you usually get. And so for me, it was kind of a... I guess a, a lucky situation and kind of uh, wasn't really, I wasn't really very knowledgeable in terms of influencing and communicating these ideas, but I was just number one, living very far away from everyone. So I didn't have the chance to be as pushy as maybe I would have liked to be. And uh, secondly, I just, I, I, I guess I, I took it from a very scientific approach where I would just say, you know, Hey guys, like I'm doing this and uh, 
uh, I have some really interesting documentaries that I think you guys should watch and uh, let people, you know, make their decisions from there. And it was a slow process, you know, and now I'm blessed to say that my parents, all my siblings, you know, the whole close core family is all vegan, which is amazing. It's such a, you know, such a, a luxury when you come home for holidays or Christmas and everyone's on the same page and you're all eating the same food. And it's probably one of the things I get the most often on Instagram is people being like, oh, you're so lucky your whole family is vegan, you know, because it causes a lot of stress and a lot of conflict for a lot of people when, you know, different family members are doing different things and there's always a bit of tension and, and, and all that kind of stuff, right? So I think the, the, the most important thing was to kind of let them take their time. They took years, you know, that first my my parents were going at five days a week vegan and they would eat whatever they want on the weekend. You know, that for me was a huge win, huge win. Um, and then slowly but surely, we got everyone over the way. But uh, I have to say though, uh, from for my family at least, and it's probably different for every person, but uh, you know, it was really getting the scientific approach to, to allow them to understand that it's not dangerous, right? It's not a risky thing to do for your health. And being them, my apologies, put this phone on silent here. Um, but so to get them to understand that it's not a risky thing, so they don't have to worry about it from that side of things. But that wasn't enough to motivate them to go 100% of the way. That was enough for them to be comfortable with me doing it. So what did it for my family was definitely uh, once they understood that it's doable and it's not dangerous and it might actually even be healthy, I uh, was actually starting to take a look at the ethical side. So both for uh, John, for my parents, it was really the the ethical aspect and documentaries such as Earthlings, uh, you know, showcase this very, very uh, nicely and well not nicely it's not nice to watch but you know it's a very beautiful very important message to share and that's definitely what did it for them that's awesome man congrats on getting your whole family to go vegan i know it's not easy i got my family to go vegan as well um i have awesome. a younger awesome. brother and my parents um eventually went plant-based so it was really cool man but it, you know as i'm sure you experienced it, it was a struggle at first but like you said if yeah. you like you know, you love these people, right? They're your family, you know, you don't yeah. want to give up on them and you want the best for them. So, um, you know, there's definitely been some rough moments, but I think speaking up, I definitely don't regret it as I'm sure you don't. Yeah, no, hundred percent, hundred percent. And that's the thing I think is the, the most important thing as well is to really realize that people aren't giving you resistance because they're against you, right? This is a kind of a personal a natural reaction human beings have when somebody argues against you that they're, you know, this somehow like me versus you dynamic going on. But that's not the case. They're just, they've just come to the place they are now because of a million different influencing factors from the moment they were born to the moment today. They've been influenced by so many things from their childhood, their parents, their environment, their jobs, their schooling, the, the TVs and movies and everything. So they're actually just, uh, they have a different circumstance, a different mindset, and they're just seeing things from their perspective. So they're, they're, you know, usually they want the best for you and they're just worried about you and they're worried about themselves. They're worried about their health. Uh, so, so really, you know, it's, it's very important to kind of distance yourself emotionally and try not to be very, uh, yeah, not too emotionally invested and, and take things personally because that's, you know, that's probably the easiest way to, uh, you know, mess things up when it comes to influencing people uh, into the vegan or plant-based direction is really getting yourself too deeply invested emotionally to the point where, uh, you know, we have arguments rather than discussions. And that's what I like to say, you know, I never have arguments, you know, it's one of the, one of my favorite sayings is the only way to win an argument is to avoid one. 
uh, and focus on having discussions instead of arguments. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, it's the other person's decision. Anyway, you can't make them go vegan or make them do exactly. anything. Um, you know? Yeah, man. I hear that all the time. It's like, Oh, how did you make them go vegan? I'm like, I didn't, I didn't make anyone. I didn't like wave my, my vegan hand over them. Like, Oh, you are now vegan. Like, no, that doesn't work. You know, it's like they make themselves go vegan. You can only try to nudge them along and influence them and give them your perspective. And, but in the end of the day, like you said, it's their decision. Right, right. And was that sort of like passion to really influence others in a better way? Is that what kind of led you to go into medicine? Uh, I mean, medicine was kind of a, it's, it's, it's a complicated, like it's a multifactorial thing. So many things went into it. Uh, one of the reasons was definitely because I knew as a doctor, even though now after going through medical school, I, I, I actually know that uh, it shouldn't be so, but uh, I knew that doctors get taken a lot more seriously when it comes to nutrition, when it comes to health. And, uh, you know, now that I've been through medical school, I can tell you they shouldn't be in terms of nutrition, at least, because the nutrition training doctors get is uh, pathetic, <laughs> to, to, to be blunt. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, definitely did play a role in, in, in that decision. And otherwise, it was just I was always very good at mathematics and science and these kinds of things just came naturally to me and I was always very interested in health. So kind of medicine just looked like the uh, logical decision for me, but I never, you know, a lot of my colleagues and classmates throughout the years had, you know, multiple family members. They had dreams of being a doctor since they were a kid. Like for me, it was never that. I was just like, ah, oh, I'm pretty good at this. I'll give it a try. And then I went for it. But, uh, so it was nothing like glorious, glamorous dreams, but yeah, that's pretty much how it went. Yeah, and you kind of mentioned this a little bit, but I think um, right now you've had what, like about like a year or two years like of experience after being certified as a medical doctor, right? About about that? Yeah, so, yeah, so I graduated almost a year ago now, yeah. So um, you've gotten a good bit of experience so far, like an idea of how things are. Like you mentioned, um, what are some things that you want cha to, ch to change in the medical field? Yeah, yeah. So just to clarify, I'm actually uh, I'm actually not practicing as a doctor. I've decided to go, you know, my my own separate direction. Uh, but yeah, I definitely have had a lot of experience in, you know, throughout the years going through the system, going through different rotations, clinicals, uh, following doctors, observerships, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I think for me, one of the biggest problems in medicine still is that it's very paternalistic and very traditional in a way. So uh, a lot of things that are done in medicine are still done just because it's the way it's always been, uh, which is kind of goes in the, you know, 180 degrees, almost completely opposite direction of what science is meant to be, right? Science is, hey, here's what the best fact, the best evidence, the, the science suggests is to be true. This is the, the best truth we have at the moment. Let's follow that, right? Whereas in medicine, a lot of times, uh, things are very slow to to be adopted because of the fact that we have this traditional kind of culture and there's still a lot of hierarchy there's still a lot of the you know the junior doctors are are you know given all the worst jobs and the the, the higher ups are are thought of as like uh, the big bosses who make all the decisions and know everything but obviously uh, completely unrealistic and there's a lot of ego in medicine as well a lot of doctors who have huge egos and um, it's just, yeah, again, I think just like with spreading veganism, uh, communication and behavioral psychology is the most difficult thing when it comes to medicine. It's the same thing. You know, doctors, uh, 
uh, are human beings like anyone else. And they're not gods. They're not uh, superior beings. They're, <laughs> they're none of the stuff that people sometimes make them out to be. Um, and so they're prone to the same mistakes as every other human being. And uh, I can tell you for sure, doctors make a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes. So uh, it's important to remember that you're talking to a human being on the other side. And, and uh, if there's one thing that makes us human, you know, one of the things we all have in common is we all make mistakes. That's part of being human. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Just like anyone. But um, yes, I have noticed that, you know, certain doctors do have that ego and that they are the authority where like a mm. lot of these problems, like we talked about, they are nutrition based. And, you know, you see, you see the, um, the potential of, you know, the medical system and just humanity in itself. You know, we're facing a crisis right now, the coronavirus, right? came out of nowhere i mean we're like what a few months into this thing and yeah. like the 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 action that we've taken is amazing i mean you yeah. know like it could be so much worse right we, we've taken good 100%. action so far dude like imagine if we tackled nutrition based um issues like heart disease mm -hmm. certain forms of cancers diabetes with the same amount of urgency mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. like we would be in such a better place we would decrease the leading cause of death heart disease um yeah. you know cancers diabetes like all this stuff would be gone essentially um mm -hmm. why do you think why do you feel that it's so slow you know to take action mm -hmm. do you feel like it is because of that um you know egocentric or just like you know i i need to follow this traditional method you know mm -hmm. that there's not like too yeah, much yeah thinking outside the yeah. box yeah i i get you that's a, it's a really good question i think it's it's something that's very uh you know very central to to you know like you said all these lifestyle related diseases that have such a huge potential to to you know avoid sick years avoid pain avoid suffering and also the, the economical value of having people you know less less bills to pay less um, procedures uh, more work time, more productivity in society in general. So it's just amazing benefits. And I think it's a multifactorial thing. It's a very complex combination of things that is causing this as well. The, the traditional aspect of things is definitely one of them. The, the human aspect that doctors, like anyone else, are human, and they also believe that you need meat for protein and you need this and that. You need milk for <laughs> calcium. You need fish for omega-3s, all, all that kind of stuff. Right? I've heard it all, all the same stuff. Carbs make you fat. I've heard doctors say all the same stuff you hear regular people talk about, right? So, um, we, you know, doctors also have their their biases and their misconceptions as everyone else. But then, what really holds it back, and this is kind of, I guess, a little bit dark, but I, I believe it is just again not because somebody's trying to be evil on purpose. It's just the way the system, this huge, massive, complicated system, has fallen into place and it has worked for for a while is it's really industry driven right and when it comes to something like coronavirus which is very direct it's an infectious disease uh you know the the industries are obviously very interested in uh, vaccines they're interested when it comes to bacteria you know you have uh, medications that can fight these things right whereas lifestyle related diseases like cancer diabetes heart disease for the most part um fixing those things isn't going to get you a lot of money. It's actually going to do the opposite, right? Whereas uh, treating them for uh, 
10, 20, 30, 40. And on a side note, actually, this is one of the problems with antibiotics is usually uh, the industry isn't that interested in making new antibiotics and we're having this increase in resistance, antibiotic resistance, which is also due to a big part animal agriculture, by the way, um, on a side note. But the thing that, that you see there is that the industry is not that interested in making new antibiotics because you're putting someone on an antibiotic for three, six, seven, ten days, and that's it. Whereas for a statin or a blood pressure or a blood sugar medication, you're talking about putting someone on it for 30 years. So the profit margins for the industry is on a completely different scale. It's huge. That's that's what really the, the pharmaceutical industry is interested in, right? But some something like the virus is again uh it's it's not it's it's more it's not something you can prevent as easily but it's something that you can again profit on with with vaccines and this kind of stuff and there i think uh also just the 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 i guess concept of it being a very visible like it's an infection you know you get you get the virus cause and effect done it's very simple in that way Whereas uh, most lifestyle-related diseases are very multifactorial and very complex, so it's a combination of all of these things. But in the end of the day, I think you know industry is really what drives medical education. That's the reason we don't get taught a lot of nutrition is because there's not a lot of money to be made by telling people to eat more broccoli and uh, eat less cheese and, and and processed meat and processed sugar and processed carbs and all that kind of stuff. Uh, whereas uh, you know medications, pharmaceuticals, surgery. These are things that make a lot of money for the industry, and these are things that are uh, emphasized a lot heavier in the medical education than than anything else. So I think you know, in the end of the day, it comes down to money. Uh, it, it, again, not because there's one big bad rich you know guy at the top, the Illuminati boss of medicine who's just telling us all what to and uh, what to do. It's nothing like that. It's just I think uh, it's a complex system that's just become the way it is. And, uh, unfortunately today, uh, the industry and, and, you know, even the universities have to make their money from somewhere and that money is usually coming from the industry. Yeah. I mean, that's the truth. And it almost sounds like a conspiracy theory. Like you said, like there's no big Illuminati guy or whatever, like, but it's the reality. It's like, how are these doctors in industries and insurances and everything that we have around in society, you know, how are they all going to make mm-hmm. their money? Because that's also an issue too. Like we have to tackle that even though we have to die, right? We still have to tackle, you know, how are we going to keep all these people in business and feed their families mm-hmm. and everything, which I'm not saying like that's a reason to support like, you know, yeah, yeah. not all this or whatever, but yeah, it's, it's a big issue like you mentioned. So what do you, what are your goals? If I may ask with medicine, I mean, you say you're not practicing right now. Is it, Something you're looking mm-hmm. to like maybe do some coaching to help people online or what do you see yourself um, going down the road? Yeah, so that's uh, exactly what I've been doing actually since I since I graduated. has been teaching people how to actually take control of their lifestyle when it comes to um, nutrition, when it comes to exercise, sleep, relaxation, mental, social well-being, all the stuff that has an evidence basis for it for really prolonging your health and, and making you healthy in the long run, right? So a lifestyle that can last you forever rather than just a quick fix, a pill, a surgery, or whatever, uh, that often just deals with the, the symptoms, the consequences rather than the cause. So I actually recently joined forces with John and we we're just actually recently just started our, our coaching business right now is not probably not the best time to start it with the, with the whole outbreak, right? People, you know, are going crazy and not too many people are 
really in the right mind space right now to just say, yeah, you know, I'm just going to start a coaching program right now. Um, but you know, it's, uh, I think one of the most powerful things you can do for your long-term health. Uh, and I say this from, from a, a scientific literature standpoint, from an evidence-based standpoint, uh, where you're looking at 70 to 80% of the disease burden in Western countries coming from lifestyle related chronic diseases. So really, if there's one thing you want to focus your time and energy on to really make the most out of your life and live your life to the fullest, it's really taking care of your lifestyle and, and your health, because that's what we have the power to to control, right? Your genes uh, is not something you can uh, uh, choose which genes you inherit or not. But luckily for us, uh, genes play a much minor role in our health than most people believe. Yeah, I mean, I don't know who it was. Some, some plant-based doctor once said, you know, it's genes that load the gun, diet pulls the trigger. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something along the lines of that. And, think, think it's Dr. Esselstyn. Yeah, I've heard that one too. Yeah, it's so good and it makes so much sense. It's like your genes are not your destiny. And yeah, once you start taking care of your health, um, you know, nutrition, fitness, sleep, like you mentioned, this is the foundation. Once you cover that, you know, you're going to have such a higher chance of living a healthy life and avoiding so many problems down the road, which is awesome. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that you guys are, are doing that together, that you're teaming up and, and doing the coaching thing, man. Yeah, no, it's it's very motivating work, right? Because you're really you're working with something that you know scientifically has a huge potential to help, and then you're also having that human contact. You're you're teaching people something that they can use for the rest of their life, and uh, yeah, it's very rewarding. You know, you're really really uh, helping to turn people's lives around for the better. So I'm I'm super stoked to be doing this with John, and uh, you know, we partner partner up with a guy called Taylor, who's a a vegan beast, who's been doing uh, coaching for over ten years, and he's a behavioral change coach and uh, he's been vegan for 10 years as well. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm super stoked to, to be doing it. Um, and just on a side note, when, uh, when you were talking about the, the, the doctors and, and the lifestyle and all that kind of stuff, I was actually at a, an event in Israel not too long ago with uh, Dr. Uh, Michael Clapper. And uh, we went to dinner after the event and uh, I was talking with him. And, and he was telling me a story of one time where he met up with uh, a friend of his and a colleague, uh, Dr. Kim A. Williams, who's the uh, former president of the American College of Cardiology. And at that time, uh, he was working in the hospital in the cardiology department, right? So they were going to this uh, kind of meeting, a hospital meeting. And uh, Michael, or Dr. Clapper, he says, uh, you know, he sees uh, Dr. Kim A. Williams walking. And says, he looks kind of down. He doesn't look really like he's very happy. So he's like, you know, like, what's going on? What, what's what's wrong? What's the matter? You, you don't look very, you know, you look, you look worried. And he's like, yeah, you see, you know, we've, we've been incorporating the plant-based lifestyle into our cardiology units for a few months now. And uh, the thing is, it's working so well that our patients aren't coming back to us. They're just, they're just getting better. They're just getting better and our, our funding is like going down. And I had a meeting with our hospital manager and he said, you know, what, what's going on? Like cardiology used to be our one of our uh, biggest uh, sources of income and now you guys are making almost no money. And he was like, he was like, and, and, and you know, Michael Kuyper was telling me this story and he was had a big smile on his face. He was like, that's, you know, how well this diet and this lifestyle works where you know, it becomes a problem because they're not getting they're not getting money because the people are actually getting better and then they don't need to come to hospital, right? So uh, it was kind of like, what a weird problem to have <laughs> as a doctor. It is. It really is. It's like, how do you 
what do you do at that point? Like you're helping people get healthy, but how do you stay in business? It's just like what we were talking yeah. about. That's crazy. Exactly. So, so what they were talking about is actually a, maybe a very interesting concept. I'm not aware of any place in the world that has actually implemented this, but they were talking about how instead of having what they have now is, you know, you, you get uh, paid on the basis of people who are admitted to hospital, who are getting treated, who are getting surgical, uh, you know, consultations, who are actually getting operations. And uh, they were talking about instead of doing this, you could actually get paid for people, uh, you know, for, for keeping people healthy. So having some way where the doctors and the hospitals are reimbursed for having people go back uh, into society faster and, 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 and be well so they can, you know, be productive and functional instead of uh, the traditional way of, you know, the, the sicker people are, the more you get paid. So some, some way of reversing that dynamic where it's actually you're not getting paid when people get sick, you're getting paid when people are well and are outside the hospital, right? Um, so, you know, how exactly they'd go about doing that is the, the question. You know, if, if they were able to figure that out 100%, uh, that would be amazing because, you know, especially when it comes to chronic lifestyle related diseases, which is like I said, 70 to 80% of the disease burden, that's what we're talking about, right? Of course, there's always going to be motor vehicle accidents. There are always going to be uh, infectious diseases, emergencies where people have to come in, they have to get acute treatment, they have to get operations. And this is life saving stuff and it's amazing stuff and it's so good. But for the majority of people today, that's not the big issue, right? It's heart attacks, it's strokes, it's cancer, it's diabetes, you know, the amputations, the blindness, the kidney disease, uh, all that kind of stuff. And that's it's all lifestyle. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And if anything, maybe we can keep the hospitals more empty for people that actually, not that somebody who had a heart attack wouldn't actually need it. But I'm saying like for more acute problems, um, you know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. So, um, Dude, I don't know if I asked you this. Uh, I mean, I know we talked about how you made John go vegan. How did how did you go vegan? What made you want to go on this journey? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, for me, it was, like I mentioned before, was, uh, the, the idea was brought to me by an ex-girlfriend. And before I met her, I had never even heard the word. I had no idea what vegans were. I barely knew what vegetarians were. I was a big meat fan my entire life, you know, half Brazilian. We had barbecues every Saturday. Sunday was uh, seafood, you know, being half Norwegian. So it was just like a lot of, you know, we, we to be fair, we always ate a lot of fruits and vegetables, a lot of legumes, uh, a lot of rice and beans. And so we were always relatively healthy. We were not never like the, the worst in terms of uh, our nutrition, but there was definitely a lot of meat. There was a lot of animal products, um, and uh, so basically, when I was when I was introduced to this by my ex girlfriend, I had the same reaction that everyone right? like, "This is weird. What is this kind of uh, tree hugging hippie movement of uh, you know, like love life, love animals, blah blah blah." Uh, but and and by the way, I say that as I used to think. <laughs> I don't think that way anymore. You know, I don't want to be condescending towards the ethical. I actually believe the ethical argument is the strongest argument now. It's my it's it's the thing that motivates me the most. But at that time that's how I thought. I thought, oh that's you know, it's just kind of a hippie movement or whatever. But then we watched a few documentaries like Forks Over Knives uh, and you know it's it just gave me this impression of being very serious, very scientifically oriented movement. There's a lot of good evidence backing it up. Uh, and the arguments just all made sense. And I was like, wait a second, this can't be true. This goes against everything I've been taught. Like, this, this can't be real. If, if it's real, I have to find out. So 
I was already doing my bachelor's in bioengineering, so I was already had already been introduced to uh, critiquing the scientific literature, statistical analysis of studies, all this kind of stuff. I already was in that field, so I just delved into it. I started reading research, and the more I read, the more I was like, "Whoa, this is actually you know, there's actually good science backing this this up. This is not just again." "Quote unquote," a tree hugging hippie kind of movement. There's actually a lot of a lot of logic behind this, and so as a scientist, I just have to admit to myself that I was wrong, and you know the beliefs I used to have for whatever reason were not really aligned with reality, and so I just have to readjust my position and and uh, you know align with myself with the best science, the best information, which shows that plant-based is the way to go, and that's when I went. You know, I was plant-based. I was eating vegan, not just vegan, but whole food plant-based. On most days, but you know, I would still make it exceptions if I went to a party or a family member or whatever. People, if I was visiting, they offered me something, I'd still eat it. But maybe a, almost a year into being plant-based on my everyday life, but making a few exceptions here and there, then I got more into the uh, ethical and the environmental aspects. I watched Earthlings, I watched Cowspiracy. I started looking at more of the the industrial farming, more of the ethical implications and. That's when I just decided 100% cut it out, right? And that's when I went to full soy boy. Yeah, absolutely, man. 100% soy boy. No shame, dude. I, <laughs> I was like 21. I was watching Forks Over Knives, and I, I did it for the health reasons as well. Um, but down oh, the road, nice. I eventually watched Earthlings, and there's mm-hmm. no way I could look away. So at that point, I considered myself plant-based, and I could easily yeah. eat like, like one egg every now and then, consider myself healthy. Yeah. But I chose yeah, yeah. not to include any eggs, any animal products in my life because of the ethical. Like you mentioned, it exactly. is the strongest yeah. reason to be vegan. And for sure, for sure. Because, like you said, you know, you can you can eat an egg every now and then, you can eat a piece of steak every now and then, you can eat a bit of fish every now and then, and be completely healthy. And there's no science to suggest that you know 100% plant-based is better than 99% plant-based, right? We know confidently that mostly, like you know, vast majority of calories should be coming from plants. But we can't tell you for sure 99 is worse than 100, right? But the ethics is, you know, it's it's unavoidable. It's uh, you can't you can't argue that causing pain is negative, right, for most people. And 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 there's also there's uh, completely impossible to argue the fact that these animals in these industries are actually going through a lot of unnecessary pain. Um, despite all of the rationalizations and all the justifications that are used with uh, humane slaughter and good lives and uh, circle of life and whatever else people use, right? But um, yeah, it's 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 just very when when you're open to to setting your emotions aside and just looking at the facts, it's a very very clear picture when it comes to to the ethics and the environment too, actually. Yeah, if if you can just sort of drop the ego, drop whatever it is that you've ever learned, and approach this with an open mind. I mean, you'll soon realize what's happening to animals is unacceptable and and the environment as well. Um, And the good thing is it's not bad for you and your body. That's that's the amazing part is you don't have to sacrifice because many people will say, oh, you know, how can you like give this up, give this up, give this up? I'm not giving up anything. I'm I'm embracing other things that you're not seeing because you're not approaching Mm -hmm. this with an open mind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's so it's like you say, so many misconceptions around this, right? Like healthy food tastes disgusting. That's the one thing people think. There's so many amazingly delicious foods that are extremely healthy. You can have super delicious 
healthy meals, right? Uh, so, so that's completely, completely the opposite of what's true. And uh, you know, when it comes to the environment and when it comes to all these things, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's like you said, it's, it's so clear. And that's why it's so easy for people to be so passionate about veganism. It's because there's very few things in life where you have such a win, 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 win situation, right? It's like everywhere you look like the environment, it gets better. Okay. The animal suffering, what your contribution to that gets better. Health gets better, right? It's, it's like, it's just so many layers on top of layers of, of positives, you know, and what comes to, you can even add the, the Corona stuff. Now you can add the, you know, human uh, hunger, you know, human well-being, all this kind of stuff. Slaughterhouse workers are some of the worst, you know, worst jobs, worst industries to be in, right? When it comes to, to their well-being and their health and accidents and all that kind of stuff. Uh, when it comes to the outbreaks that we talked about, that's mostly animal-related too, right? Uh, so it's just it's just so many things that that just stack up on each other. It's it's definitely very difficult as someone who discovers this not to be super passionate, not to be pushy. So that's very understandable that people are like, hey, I just found this amazing thing. I want to share it with everyone. But again, we have to sometimes just take that step back and just look at it completely pragmatically from a from an efficiency point of view, like what is going to get this word out there the most efficiently and the most effectively, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the benefits keep going on and on. But you have to not argue, like you mentioned, and just have open discussions with people. And if they want to embrace this lifestyle, they may. And they will turn into soldiers like you and your brother. Like you guys are such great examples of this lifestyle, man. You guys have like such great bodies and like, you know, muscles and stuff. And it's it's great because it attracts people to want to eat this way. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, stop. Now you're making me blush, Tino. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, no, it's true. That's the living by example is one of the most efficient ways for sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, you guys are killing it, man. Yeah. You, and one video I watched by you, man, which just blows my mind. It's like, you know, of course, everyone says where you get your protein. The one yeah. video you made, you ate 250 grams of protein. And if anyone mm -hmm. doesn't know nutrition, like that's a lot, man. That's a lot of food, a lot of Huge, protein. Huge, yeah, yeah. Talk a little bit about that day, if you can kind of remember, um, you know, how that was, or if you just do this yeah. often, like that's a lot of food, man. Yeah. So, so that's the thing. I mean, um, it's it, from what I remember, I wasn't even, of course you can argue that it's m maybe a little bit more difficult to find really high protein sources or, you know, especially if you're doing something new, it's always going to be harder to do something new that you're not used to than something you've done your entire life, right? Of course, it's going to be an adjustment period and you're going to have to learn a few things. But there's so many high protein sources, you know, so many sources of food that are high. In protein. And, and by the way, the protein story is only really an issue if you really want to be like really big, like if you want to be like kind of, you know, bodybuilding, build muscle, like otherwise, it's not really something to waste your time thinking about. Because if you're eating enough calories, if you're eating enough whole foods, you're, you're going to get more than enough protein, right? But uh, if you're really just looking to optimize as much as possible, grow, you know, grow your physique, grow your muscles, then yeah, like whether you're vegan or not, you're going to have to think about, you know, protein and you're going to have to think about your nutrition. You're going to have to think about your training. You're going to have to th think about your sleep, your stress levels, all this kind of stuff. But for me, when it comes to the food, it's really just eating a lot of the, you know, the higher sources of protein on the vegan diet. So we're talking about nuts, uh, seeds, we're talking about uh, legumes, tofu, tempeh. Uh, a lot of stuff and even some grains and, and vegetables are surprisingly high but uh, it's just 
The other thing I get is I, I eat a lot, you know, <laughs> I have to admit that. So I eat a lot more than most people, right? So um, it's one of the things I get from people is like, well, I couldn't go vegan, man, because I could never eat as much as you. And I'm like, whoa, 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 relax. I ate like this way before I was vegan. Like I've always eaten huge pork. Like I've always been a big food, you know, food kind of guy. I can eat a lot, right? You know, I've, I remember, you know, in schools and football or soccer tournaments, wherever I went, I would just sit at buffets and just sit like portion after portion after portion. And people would be looking like, where does all this food go? Like what's going on? So, uh, you know, I always used to boast that my most flexible body part is my stomach. Um, but yeah, you know, it's not really the, the healthiest uh, way of living. So I'm actually trying to cut down a little bit on my, my huge portion sizes. But um, yeah, I, I believe that day that you were talking about, that I wasn't even, you know, trying to eat as much protein as humanly possible. I was just eating a wide variety of food with a little bit of, you know, I do, of course, always have a, a little, you know, my, my eye is kind of open to protein sources and just kind of adding that to every meal. And, you know, you get easily uh, more and more than enough protein, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you do what? You weightlift, you do jujitsu, I think. Um, you do a lot of sports, so you're active and your body requires you to eat that much. So someone, exactly, doesn't, yeah, yeah. someone doesn't necessarily have to replicate that for themselves if, you know, it depends yeah. on what they do, of course. Um, but yeah, I kind of want to go into the ne next part of the discussion, like into fitness and you know, mm -hmm. what you eat, how you train and everything. So tell me a little bit about like the, do you do the vegan proteins like tofu, seitan, tempeh, or even like processed stuff like Beyond Meat, which has like a lot of protein in mm -hmm. itself. Um, do you do any of those? Well, I mean, the processed stuff I'll do on rare occasions where out of curiosity, I want to try or taste or if I'm at a party or whatever, you know, but everyday life, again, from a health point of view, it's what you do on your everyday that really makes a difference, right? It's not what you do on special occasions. Uh, so yeah, I would avoid most things like Beyond Meat and, and those kinds of things. Uh, I would still have tempeh and tofu. Um, you know, those are quite minimally processed. They're actually, um, you know, as far as I'm aware, as long as you're not eating huge amounts, uh, which some evidence suggests could raise your IGF-1 levels like a lot of other foods do. Uh, but again, you could also argue in the context of an otherwise very healthy diet, having a little bit of food that might raise your IGF-1 a little bit might not be such a big deal either, you know. Um, but yeah, tofu, tempeh, uh, I do definitely eat quite a bit of. Uh, seitan, not so much sometimes. Um, and then, yeah, just a lot of nuts, seeds, legumes, you know, chickpeas, split peas, lentils, beans, all that kind of stuff. Um and then, yeah, some grains like quinoa, brown rice, a lot of these things, you know, have surprisingly high amounts of protein. So especially if you're working out a lot, especially if you're requiring a lot of calories, if you're smashing in those foods, you're also smashing in the protein. And most people far overestimate uh, protein requirements. I've seen people talking about, you know, uh, two, two grams per pound and all, all sorts of crazy numbers, which is like, <laughs> it's completely unnecessary. You're just like, you're just, you're just torturing your kidneys at that point. That, that's for sure. Insanely high for sure. Um, do you follow, uh, I don't know if you track this stuff besides like when you make your videos, like on a day to day, but mm -hmm. do you like, feel like you fall in like the one gram per pound or like 1.2 or I don't know if you ever like Definitely, yeah, definitely. Uh, on average, I would say a little bit less than one gram per pound. But you know, I try, I try to get, you know, I try to get close to that usually, just because you know I'm trying to 
optimize muscle gain, especially now that I'm, uh, you know, trying to catch up to my swole bro, <laughs> who's a absolute monster here. Um, but yeah, so, so, and that's, and, and he eats even less protein. So, uh, you know, uh, there's also individual variation, right? Some people might need more than others, even if you're the same size and same weight. Uh, John usually eats, I'd say probably less than 150 grams of protein on his, you know, everyday life. And he weighs definitely over 200 pounds, you know? Um, so quite a bit less than one, one gram per pound. And he's, he's massive. Uh, so so yeah, it's it's definitely from person to person. It varies. Also, caloric intake, right? Some people need more calories than others, uh, and then of course, depending on the sport. If you're doing a lot of other sports, then of course you're not going to progress as quickly. If you're doing your main focus is bodybuilding and, and you're training for that, then you're going to get more results than someone who's you know, mixing it up and doing a lot of different sports. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What do you um do? You do any like protein shakes as well? Do you follow that? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I've, I've, you know, gone on and off for, for many years using protein powders and not. And for me, I use it as a convenience tool. It's just rather than just always planning on bringing the high protein foods, right? And this is, again, talking about bodybuilding, whether you're vegan or not. Every bodybuilder you see, they're obsessed almost with food, right? They're bringing food everywhere. They have like 10 Tupperwares, you know, at all times, just like every single meal is planned. And it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of dedication, a lot of work. And for someone who's busy and, and, and doing a lot of different things, it's just the protein powder is just such a convenient way to, you know, take a scoop, boom, blend it up in a smoothie, finished. It's more than anything, a convenience tool for me. Uh, and just, you know, I'd like to bring it to everyone's attention as well, again, because I feel it's so heavily, uh, you know, emphasized in the media. It's, we're almost brainwashed to the point now that we think healthy is big muscles. Like you think someone is healthy when they have big muscles. It's two completely different things, two completely separate topics. So having big muscles has nothing to do with your health. And when it comes to optimal health, you're probably better off actually having a bit smaller muscles than what is usually, you know, on the posters of all these magazines and YouTube and Instagram and all these different social media ads. Uh, so from a health point of view, in the, the protein is a non-issue. It's a non-topic. It's so easy to get enough. It really only is uh, something of interest if you're really trying to maximize your gains and really trying to maximize your, your muscles. But other than that, it's, it's not really, it's not really that important. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for just being healthy. Yeah. You really need like very little, you can eat it. You can eat your food blindly, like as long as you're eating like whole food, you know, whole f based uh, foods. Um, but for sure, if you're trying to look at building some muscle, I think it's something to definitely be more conscious about, like you mentioned. Um, so when you're when it's time to like prepare a meal, right? You got your plate in front of you. Do you portion it in terms of like um, types of foods? Like, okay, this is like half my plate's going to be starch, maybe like you know, a quarter of protein, a quarter of vegetables. I'm just like naming examples. Or do you break it down by maybe like macros, which is very popular among the YouTube and Instagram community? Um, what do you like to do? Yeah, so I'm actually, uh, you know, despite being a scientist, I'm very like my everyday eating is like the opposite of scientific. You know, I've, I, I basically just eat whatever I feel like. I always have an eye on uh, you know, what are the food groups I want to include from a health point of view? Like, you know, you want to include some berries, you want to include some flax seeds, you want to include enough leafy greens and vegetables and et cetera, et cetera. 
so that's kind of the things I think about. Like, have I eaten this yet today? And kind of including that from a health point of view. But from, when it comes to macros and and portion sizes and and you know half of the plate, this or that, I usually just go whatever I feel like, throw it in there. And and of course, I always try to have a few different food groups in. You know, like dinner always has to have vegetables. Always has to you know either have a lot of vegetables or a lot of leafy greens or big salads, something like that. Um, but no, I just, yeah, eat whatever dish I'm eating and just make sure it's, uh, you know, the health, the, the, the food groups are healthy, the ingredients are healthy. And, uh, then I track sometimes just to see how I'm doing and then see where the macros are falling. And, and I think, you know, from, uh, the, the scientific calculation macro kind of point of view, it's helpful when you're just checking what you're doing and you're seeing if you're going to be uh, completely religious about following a program or something like that you know if you're going on stage for a bodybuilding contest these things can be useful but you know even even at a very high level if you're trying to be very fit and healthy uh, intuitive eating is just so much easier to do if you just figure it out you know after some experience after doing it a few times you figure out what you need uh, it's just it's just so much easier it takes so many uh, headaches away from having to weigh every single food and calculate every single thing so uh, it's just, I think it's the most sustainable way to eat is just kind of knowing what you eat and knowing the food groups and just making sure you're getting enough of all the different health, uh, healthy food groups rather than really having to become like an eccentric mad, uh, uh, soyantist <laughs> where, where you're just, uh, you know, weighing up every single gram and calculating every percent and putting it into your formula. Like for me, it's interesting to do every now and then just to see where you're at. Uh, but it's not uh, sustainable. And from a scientific point of view, there's no evidence suggesting that uh, like 80, 10, 10 or 70, 15, 15 or 60, 20, 20 is like the perfect uh, macro combination for everyone like that. We don't have that. So there's, there isn't, there is no good evidence. Anyone who tells you that uh, like it's for sure a hundred percent, this is the best way. Like it's, it's not right. We, we've evolved in a way where we're supposed to be able to use, um, we're supposed to be able to use nutrients from various different sources and be quite uh, adaptable in, in what we eat. So there, there is no one way uh, of eating that is best for everyone. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's been times where I've tracked my stuff for like months on end and it was cool. You know, I have the data in front of me, but like it's just not for me personally, at least it's not sustainable. Like you mentioned, because then I'll get stressed. Mm -hmm. I'll say, Oh, I didn't hit like this amount of protein and my fat like went over by this much. It just becomes too stressful. As long as you mm -hmm. know what healthy foods are to avoid oils, that's that's another thing I think we didn't really talk about. Um, how calorically yeah. dense and bad oils are for your cardiovascular system. But just knowing like what foods to avoid, what foods to eat in general, and then just making sure you're getting enough of it. Um, it sounds exactly. like what you what you do. Um, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And Going back to supplements, when you mentioned you take protein, um, do you take creatine or anything else uh, in addition to that? Yeah, so so the main sports supplements I've taken are definitely protein powder and creatine. Creatine as well, I've kind of been uh, on and off. Like first few years, maybe I didn't take it so much, but then started experimenting with it and you know definitely uh, seems to have an effect for me. Um, but more importantly, I, I never really trust anecdotal evidence. More importantly, there's a lot of good, you know, good research suggesting that most people get a, a very real and good effect uh, when it comes to explosive sports. So sprinting, weightlifting, all that kind of stuff, right? 
Um, but other otherwise, I've, I've experimented a tiny bit. I tried uh, taurine once. I tried uh, beta alanine once. But these are there's not that much evidence, and you know most of these things are things that your body produces anyway. So um, it's just for me, it's there's just not enough uh, of a, of a evidence base for for me to really uh, be that motivated to take them. But yeah, I've I've tried those like once or twice. Uh, for short periods of time but mainly it's just protein powder and creatine that's it nice so i'm going to try to summarize my understanding of creatine and if i'm talking out of my ass dude feel free to jump in at any point but um so creatine um like you said i think it gives you energy right for those explosive sports um it also Mm -hmm. i think accelerates muscle growth but what i've found um and please correct me if i'm wrong um, yeah, so I would just say, I mean, like, just because you just made those points, I would say, uh, you know, the the in terms of the energy storage, it's actually one of the, you know, ATP is the main energy currency in the body, and the creatine actually binds to phosphate, becomes creatine phosphate, and that's the kind of the energy storage in the muscle. So when your muscles are doing something high intensity, explosive uh, movements such as sprinting, weightlifting, stuff like that, where it's just using huge bursts of energy and not really having time. To go into the aerobic respiration or uh, you know the oxidative respiration where you're taking oxygen and your muscles are you know that usually takes time so you're really uh, relying on anaerobic respiration the glycolytic pathway where you're just breaking down sugar and you're just pumping out atp and then you're using the phosphate from the atp atp stands for adenosine triphosphate so you're taking one of those phosphates and you're using that as chemical energy to contract your muscles and then uh, when you're using that atp it becomes adp ADP, so adenosine diphosphate, and then the creatine can come in and actually give its phosphate away to replenish it back to ATP, and so you have a little bit of extra energy to to you know take you a few extra seconds or and stuff like that. So and that's really why it it's so good for uh, explosive sports and the way it really stimulates um, uh, you know bigger muscles and stuff like that is is in two two ways. Number one is because it allows you to lift a little bit heavier, a little bit, you know, more uh, in these explosive, then you're obviously you're, you're going to be uh, getting a, a bigger workload. You're, you're increasing the, the, the intensity and the volume that you, that you can get in your workouts and that stimulates your muscles to grow faster. And the other thing is just the water retention as well, right? So uh, creatine usually increases water retention, which um, makes you maybe look a little bit bigger uh, and makes you a bit heavier as well. So it's the only recognized side effect of creatine and, you know, all of the studies and thousands and thousands of people, uh, you know, some studies have even taken, you know, 20, 30 years uh, of people taking creatine. And the only side effect really documented is a small weight gain because of the extra water retention. Yeah. Yeah. See, I told you you would sound way smarter if you talked about it than I did. <laughs> but uh, the, the, the one thing I've heard about creatine, though, um, it's uh, if, if you take it long term, it's that your body starts to rely on the supplement as opposed to creating its own. Do you know anything about that part? Yeah, yeah, I've definitely heard that argument, but I've never I've never come across research papers that actually show that people who, like I said, there, there's papers of following people who have been taking it for 20 years uh, without seeing any any uh, kind of uh, negative consequences. So I've never seen any paper that actually suggests this uh, could be a thing. Um, but I've definitely heard a lot of people have those worries. And actually some people, that's why they, they kind of take it for a few months and then they'll take maybe like half a month or a month where they take no creatine whatsoever. To kind of just give your body a, 
a little kind of break where it's like it has to produce its own again or something. But again, a lot of these things are just people trying to, you know, think their way through this area that just doesn't have, uh, there's just very little uh, evidence or, or research to suggest that the other way a lot of people have is actually hair loss. Uh, some people think that, you know, taking creatine will, will uh, make you lose your hair. And, uh, you know, the whole idea came from a study from uh, early 2000s, I believe, where they found that some people who took creatine, and uh, it was something like uh, 20, 30% of the people who took it in that study actually had a, a, an increase in DHT, which is dihydrotestosterone, which is like the active form of testosterone. And uh, in a separate study then, uh, we also had, or, or in other studies, we all also have this association be between, you know, high uh, dihydrotestosterone and hair loss. So then people were kind of like doing this thing that in science is a big no-no. <laughs> it's not good, no, not good practices where you're taking uh, a connection between one study and then you're taking uh, leaping over to a connection in another study and then you're connecting the two and then uh, making an inference or a conclusion based on on those, which is okay. So uh, this study says creatine can increase DHT in some people. This study says DHT can lead to hair loss. So I'm going to jump and say creatine, hair loss. Uh, which is, you know, very, very big leap. Uh, and there is no, you know, that's almost 20 years ago now. And still to this day, there's not been a single study showing uh, a real link between creatine and hair loss. So, um, you know, it's something that I, I personally would not worry about. It's, uh, you know, hair loss is mostly a, a genetically thing, a genetic thing for, for most uh, men when it comes to male pattern balding. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I never heard of that before, but um, yeah, that's very interesting. Um, I'm glad you shared those benefits with creatine because it's something I personally have been wanting to look into more. So um, mm -hmm. thank you for that. With in terms oh, of yeah, in terms of workouts, right? Um, what would you recommend to somebody who's looking to build muscle? Like say, like somebody like me, dude. Like I'm, I've been a cyclist. <laughs> like most of my like yeah. vegan life, like I've been cycling like since I was around 21. So I became a cyclist around the time and became a vegan. Anyhow, mm, okay. um, over the past couple of years, I've been trying to build more muscle. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who want to just like pack a little bit more muscle and just feel better um, physically. What what are the workouts you would recommend in terms of focusing on? Yeah, sure. Let's let's just do a let's do a free uh, coaching session right now. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, so so I guess my my first question to you would be, you know, what are you planning on uh, training, kind of weight training, in that as your main focus, or are you planning on combining it with cycling or combining it with other sports? Right? Because depending on how many days you're dedicating to the gym, we'd find a different split uh, to be able to hit the right amount of volume per week. So. If you're dedicating every day to the gym or, you know, six times a week to the gym, I would say something like push-pull-leg splits would be a nice way to go about it where you can hit most muscle groups twice a week. Whereas if you're, you know, you only have three three or four days, then, you know, something like upper, lower, slash even full body uh, workout could could be more helpful for you. But the main determinants of, of muscle growth, apart from obviously nutrition, sleep, relaxation, not stressing, mental well-being, all that kind of stuff – uh, is for sure going to be the training. And the main determinant there is progressive overload, right? So it's over time increasing either the intensity or the volume or both uh, of your workouts. The intensity, by the way, for people listening, is uh, basically the percent of, of your max weight that you're using. And obviously, the heavier you're, you're lifting, the stronger you're getting, the more 
that's going to to increase and then the volume is just uh it's the weight times reps so uh, you know if you're increasing your weights and doing the same amount of reps over time then you're automatically increasing your your volume if you're keeping your weights the same but increasing your reps over time then you're also increasing your volume right so there's a lot of ways to tweak this but intensity and volume those are the two main factors that uh that are you know used in progressive overload gotcha and you know i've heard of this concept before like strength building and then like muscle or bodybuilding rather where it's just like mm -hmm. one's like focused mainly on size the other one's focused mainly on strength and the volume yeah. that you can lift um so i guess it yeah. would depend on that of course on the person's yeah. you know preference and both everything. yeah both are you know both help each other right so if you're doing strength training that will usually get you some exercise and uh you know if you're focusing on just getting as much size as possible that will also help you get stronger but it's just which part are you optimizing right if you're if you're a huge bodybuilder you're going to be very strong but you know you might not be as strong as you could have been uh, and if you're like one of the strongest guys in the world, you're doing powerlifting, you're an absolute monster, you're also going to be very big, but you could probably have been even bigger if you optimize that aspect. So, so they're both a little bit interchangeable. They, they work, they help each other a little bit. Um, but yeah, you're right. There's kind of like two directions to go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. And my, my last question is if, if somebody has been doing this like for, for a little while, like they go on a whole food plant-based diet and are just not seeing the results that they want um is there any tips and i know that's like a big question but it, are there yeah, like yeah. little things like and it doesn't have to be about just diet which we mainly talked about but are there like just other things people should be conscious about and aware mm -hmm. instead of just like blaming you know oh i went whole food plant base i'm not gaining muscle i don't feel healthier like is there other stuff like yeah. you would recommend people look at as well a hundred percent. I mean, I always, um, you know, just to, I feel like that's a pretty big question. So how am I going to answer this the best? First to start off the, the biggest mistake most people make is just not eating enough calories. That's like the simplest, but the most common mistake is people are going from, uh, the, the way of eating that they're used to where small portions can still have a lot of calories to eating very healthy, very whole foods, but that are not very calorically dense. So they're having bigger portions and still eating far less calories. And I actually had a, well, now he's actually a, a training to be an orthopedic surgeon, very smart guy. Um, he was in my class studying medicine and he actually told me one summer he tried going vegan and, you know, he's it's like a southerner, Louisiana, so apologies if I'm uh, butchering his accent, but he's like, yeah, man, I was eating so much salads, man, and, and uh, I just, I was so tired, man. And I was like, yeah, so, so what else are you eating? Like salads? And he was like, yeah, man, like tons of salads and and like huge salads and i was like yeah 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 what else was like man i was just eating a lot of salads man i was like bro like and apparently he actually fell asleep during his workout like like in the gym falling asleep and then all his friends were like oh yeah he's doing that vegan thing you know so it's like the worst like worst example imaginable i was like no like what have you done like that's the worst thing you could have done so like for sure calories is is for 100 percent the first thing that i would go to is really make sure you're eating enough calories and look at caloric density make sure you're eating foods that have a lot of calories per per unit of weight right um other other things is allergies intolerances and sensitivities you know a lot of people have these things it would really be keep an eye out for those and maybe try experimenting switching things around obviously the only way to be 100 percent sure is doing an elimination diet 
uh, where you kind of figure out exactly what things you're you're sensitive to. You could also do some blood tests to see if there's any uh, very um, you know obvious allergies you have. Um, but you know these are some of the things that I would definitely keep an eye out from a nutrition point of view. But I always preach the holistic approach, right? When it comes to health and well-being, you really want to you know if you can do one thing right, uh, which is going to get you. 30% of the results, but then you can instead do five things, right? So you get you like 95% of the results, much better to do, you know, focus on all of the things that have been shown by the evidence to, to support your, your health and fitness goals. So we're always talking about nutrition, but we're also talking about, uh, the exercise. We're talking about sleep. We're talking about relaxation, mental well-being, and, and psychology. The mental well-being is so huge. You know, it's probably, uh, I would say apart from, from, you know, and, and all of these things are interchangeable. They all affect each other. You know, the more of all these things that you're including into your life, the more they will work off of and build up on each other. And, and you go into this kind of positive spiral, right? Whereas the fewer you do, uh, the the harder it gets. And, you know, it's, it's like a negative spiral. So but I think the psychology is absolutely one of the most important things. It's one of the most underestimated things uh, in, in mental health and mental well-being is just really – being aware of how the human mind works. And it's just such a fascinating topic because most people think human beings are these extremely rational, conscious, logical geniuses that just walk around and everything we do is just based on the, the holy gift of, of intelligence that we walk around with. It's not that that's not the case. Like human beings are subconscious animals for the most part, most of our decision-making, most of the processes that are going on are happening at a kind of automatic subconscious level. And, uh, you know, when it comes to mental well-being, being aware of some of these uh, mindsets, some of these beliefs that you have, some of these patterns of thinking, and then actually doing things, taking actions to change those into, I wouldn't even say good or bad, because you know, for the most part, your subconscious is not created by you. It's created by your environment. It's created by, like I said, so many things from the moment you're born until today, right? It's from from parents to schools to teachers to friends to to <laughs> rumors on the street to TV ads and radios, whatever it is, there's so many things that are influencing you at all times. So number one, it's not your fault. It's not your blame to, you know, you shouldn't be blamed for the way your subconscious mind works. So that's number one thing I always say is take the shame away because obviously, you know, it's, if it, it's a result of something outside of your control, external factors that are outside your control it makes no sense to, to blame yourself for that. So, that's number one. But then, so I don't say it's good or bad patterns of thinking or subconscious patterns of thinking. I say it's helpful or unhelpful. So if you find patterns of thinking, if you find mindsets and beliefs that you have that are unhelpful to you, unhelpful to your current situation, then being aware of them and actually have, keeping an eye out and recognizing them is obviously the first big step. And then taking steps to doing what we call in psychology a cognitive restructuring, which is basically uh, changing these beliefs and changing these patterns into more helpful ones. So, uh, more realistic and more, more helpful to, to your situation. So things like uh, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is, you know, probably the most evidence-based approach for things like anxiety, depression, um, many, many personality disorders, et cetera, is really talking about this. It's really finding the awareness, making people aware of these, that these things are happening and then slowly but surely, changing those ways of thinking until you, you basically you, you change your your subconscious you basically change your you, who you are in, in a way so it's very fascinating you know you can actually change a person uh, at such a fundamental level um so things like uh, visualization affirmations meditation 
um, you know, getting real life experience. So in, in CBT, we have something called uh, uh, exposure response uh, prevention, where with a lot of, uh, you know, you, you actually give your subconscious proof from real life where, you know, say you're afraid of the most, probably the easiest example to, to explain it by is say someone has a fear of, of dogs or something, right? You'll put a person first in the same building as a dog and you'll just talk to them. You'll make sure you do like routines to make them relax and make sure they're in a relaxed state before you end the session. Next time, put them in the same room. Again, doing meditations, relaxing, making sure your, your, your physiology gets to a calm state before you end the session. Next time, you know, you're, you're closer and closer and closer until eventually you're even like touching the dog, you're talking to the dog and you, you get the person to the point where they're completely calm. So you're basically, you're like your subconscious thinks one way and then you're just pounding it with real life evidence to the contrary, to the point where your subconscious is like, wait a second, that's not, that's not reality. Like it's okay. I can, I can be fine around this. Right. Um, so yeah, and, and sorry to ramble on for so long. This is something I'm very interested in. You know, the, the human psychology, behavioral psychology is such a fascinating topic. It's literally how, you know, understanding how this aspect of human beings works. It really empowers you to, to literally change who you are and change the way your brain works and how you think. I mean, that's amazing. It's completely amazing. Um, so, so, yeah, I think that's a huge, huge impact on it. Probably the number one thing apart from, you know, genetic diseases and big health problems, I think your, your psychology and having some sort of control over your mindset is probably the number one thing that's going to determine what you do in your life, really. So it's a, it's a very, very important thing. And from a mental health point of view as well, apart from the awareness of subconscious, also very important to be optimistic is another thing. People think that, oh, you know, we have pessimists and optimists and it's just who you are. It's just you were born this way. But it's actually been shown that actually focusing on positivity, focusing on optimistic thoughts can actually have a very positive effect on your health. Uh, yeah, I think it was Albert Einstein had a nice quote on this. Actually, it was something like one of the most important decisions in your life is to decide whether you live in a friendly universe or not. So like you decide that obviously it's not like, oh, I'm going to say I'm living in a friendly universe. So the universe is friendly. No, it's like, of course, there's both good and bad. Right? There's both evil. There's a lot of crap going on. We talked about the animal cruelty. There's human cruelty. There's all sorts of stuff. But there's also amazing, beautiful, you know, human beings. There's so much love. There's so many good things in life as well. So it's really about what you choose to focus on. And focusing on the good things definitely tends to lead to a, a lot more healthy consequences for you. And then the third thing is the social, um, social well-being. So we are social animals. We evolved in, in you know, groups of 50 to 100 to 200 people. Like we're, we're basically herd animals. We're, you know, whether you be an introvert or extrovert or you identify yourself as one or the other, we all need social contact. And, you know, this is something that you, <laughs> I guess, now during the corona times is a bit, you know, being, being blocked a little bit by the quarantining and stuff. Um, but, you know, for, for general health, it's very, very important that you you do um, make sure to, to have that uh, aspect of your life handled as well. So it's, it's just so many things. You know, I think if anyone ever talks about health, it's just such a interesting topic because there's so much that goes into it, right? If anyone goes, oh, yeah, the secret to health is eating chocolates or it's exercising or the secret to health is uh, this true. Like, no, <laughs> the secret to health is a million things. It's, it's such a big topic. Um, but really, I think that approach, the holistic approach of taking all of the aspects that have been shown, so really trying to optimize your diet, your exercise, your sleep, your 
mental, social well-being, your relaxation routines that you have in your daily life, being outside in nature, fresh air, all that kind of stuff really, uh, really can transform your life. And that's always what I try to do. Obviously, I'm not going to say to someone, hey, here's a hundred new things for you to do. Go. Like, <laughs> it doesn't work, right? So you have to, obviously, like whenever you're doing big changes, you have to go one step at a time. And eventually, you know, you get most of the stuff down and you feel amazing. But it's, uh, you know, it's a step-by-step process. And when it comes to behavioral change, it's really the consistency over uh, larger periods of time that allow you to kind of repeat and uh, hammer those things into the, to the point where it becomes new habits, it becomes new subconscious beliefs, and eventually you become a new, you know, it becomes a new lifestyle, a new way of being. You become a new person where this is just what you do. So, uh, yeah, sorry, that was a very, very long, <laughs> over-the-top answer, but I hope I answered your question. Absolutely, man. I wasn't expecting that. I mean, we went from eating enough calories to cognitive behavioral therapy to Albert Einstein. So, dude, I love it. I love it. Dude, no, life, awesome. life is complex. Like anyone who thinks that just changing what's on your plate is going to solve all your problems is in, you know, is delusional, you know, for, exactly, yeah. you know, I mean, for whatever reason, um, it, it, you know, you got to start looking at all aspects of life. It's great that you want to eat whole food plant-based diets great you want to exercise but like you mentioned look at all these different aspects and start you know considering every single aspect of your life and just strive to be the best person that you can be well said man yeah i appreciate that dude i'm glad to hear it yeah yeah dude you're a very smart guy man and i love what you're going to be doing with your brother um both of you obviously being youtubers and people can go and watch you guys videos for free on youtube a lot of the great information that you guys share um, where can sure. people connect with you though, if they want to work one-on-one with you guys and they really need help? Um, how can people contact you guys? Yeah. So, I mean, we, we all have our different social media. So, so Taylor, our, our behavioral coach is, uh, the vegan trainer. Uh, John is just John Venus on Instagram. I'm Dr. Leo Venus. And we all also have our YouTube channel. So Taylor is, uh, um, power plant body. John is again John Venus and I'm <laughs> Dr. Leo Venus, so not too much variation there. Uh, but yeah, if you go on our social media profiles on our Instagrams, we always have links to our coaching websites that you can click on, and you can, you know, if you're interested in working with us one on one, you can uh, send us, you know, uh, whatever it is that you want help with. We have an application that people fill out, and then we usually jump on a call with people to to hear the, you know, the exact in and outs and the details of what it is that they need help with and, and how and if we can help them. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, either Instagram is probably the easiest way to find us, but we're, again, we're also on YouTube and usually, uh, we have those links pretty much plastered all over the place. So it's not too, not too difficult to find us. Yeah. I love it. And I'll have all your links and websites in the show notes below so people can find it conveniently. But dude, I just, I want to thank you for coming on again. I mean, I, I really, resonated with a lot of what you said man you shared a lot of great information and i hope um you know people really listened all the way through because it it was um a lot of great info and i think it can help a lot of people but yeah thanks for coming on man i know you're in spain and it's super late and you need to go to bed immediately but um feel, (laughs) feel free to connect man and come back on anytime that you want yeah, awesome. Thank you so much, man. You're right. It's 1, 1 a.m. here. I'm kind of on my last uh, power bar here. But uh, man, it's been an absolute pleasure. And it's uh, I always find it such a it's such a, 
blessing to be able to connect with people. You know, you're in Maryland, I'm in Spain, we're in so like different parts of the world, and yet we're we're talking here on on video chat, and you know, feel like I'm I made a new friend today. You know, so it's been it's been absolutely great. I really enjoyed the talk, and I just have to thank you as well for for having me on. I really enjoy myself.